Hello, everyone. My name is Devin Dash. I'm here with Joey Brannon for episode 54 of the Axiom Podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about identifying a leadership team. Now, I get the luxury of grilling Joey on this one. Uh, it's an idea that he's been mulling over a long time, and we talk about in, in office, but it's something that we haven't taken to podcast, maybe in, in such an explicit format. But I, I want to make... I. I I'm careful to tell the listeners, like foreshadow what's to come, but I want to get your your honest take and feedback on and the importance of why we're making the distinction between identifying a leadership team as opposed to identifying a management team. Okay, well, I, let's let's talk about management teams. I think most well, we shouldn't take it for granted that everybody has an identified management team. Um. There are certain people who have responsibility over others, like lines of authority on an org chart. Um, but we often find that even in in the businesses that we start working with, there's no org chart, and it could be it could be thirty people, it could be two hundred people, and not necessarily an org chart. So, um, you know, when we, we talk about leadership teams, we throw that term around a lot because the work that we do, by definition, is with the leadership team. When we go in and start working with a new business, we're talking about the work we're going to be doing with the leadership team. But uh, as you and I talked, there is a need to slow down and say, well, what is the leadership team? And when I think back, we're we're now we're recording this in April. It'll be it'll go live here in another couple of weeks in April, and. Um, I think back a year ago, right, and what we were dealing with a year ago as different areas of the country started to shut down due to COVID, uh, there were essential versus non-essential businesses, and we were fielding all kinds of calls. And I remember taking a couple of calls. There were, there were at least two that had almost the identical conversation, and they were with people who weren't clients but kind of knew what we did. There mm-hmm. some, in one case, it was a good friend of mine. Uh, who had a business, and you're just saying, hey, like, what are, you, what are you seeing out there? Like, what are you guys doing? What's happening? What should we be doing? And one of the things that uh, that I said in these two calls is, well, and we had just been coming out of a whole series of meetings with clients who were doing this, and, yep. and so I was basically telling them what we were seeing other businesses doing. And I said, well, whatever frequency that you are you currently have for meeting with your leadership team you should probably double or triple that. So if you're currently sitting down with your leadership team like once a week, it, you should probably be sitting down two or three times a week because things are changing so fast. And one, you need to keep everybody informed of what's going on so that they can keep everybody else informed. But two, there's going to be just a lot of issues popping up that you're not anticipating and you're probably going to need more frequent interactions with that team to address all those issues. And both of these people said the exact same thing, which is why it sticks in my head. And they said, that's great. Leadership team, leadership team. Okay. Who should be on that? <laughs> and I was like, well, <laughs> if you haven't already identified who those people are, much less, you know, gotten in the habit of putting them in the same room together to solve problems, it, it's probably too late. Like we're, that, that, that horse has left the barn, so to speak. So, you know, you're going to have to take a step back. So when we talk about leadership and, and, leadership teams and getting them together, who should be on that, um, we have, of late, uh, started to make more distinction between the idea of management versus leadership. And I think every business has management, right? It's just this idea that I'm going to have, I'm not going to be able to um, keep up with all the tabs in the business. I'm going to have to delegate some of that to a sales manager or production manager or customer service manager. And these are very familiar concepts. 
Um, but I, I think the biggest, the biggest distinction between the two, and and there are a few more we can talk about. But I would start with this idea of one leads from a position of authority, or I guess one sits in a position of authority, and the other sits in a position of influence. So just to just to summarize, so we're we're distinguishing a management team from a leadership team in the sense that we might often look at a management team and go, well, they have X number of direct reports on the org chart and they're the technical expert in that particular area of the business. So they're the manager. Right. And we're saying it may be that that person is on the leadership team, but it may not be. And we're going to talk about some of the, the, you know, comparisons between what is a manager and what is a leader and, you know, why you can have a leader who is a manager but you can't necess- You can also have a manager who is not a leader. Correct. And um, we're going to make some of those distinctions and compare and contrast the two today. Yeah. So. So what's the first quality that we're going to be talking about? And you mentioned it is authoritative, or versus more more submissive. submissive yeah. On a leadership team. Yeah, and maybe authoritative versus influence is a better way to to say it. Now that I think about it, but, um, you know if. You, uh, I kind of say this is kind of a bad way to say it, but like, you know, the hallmark of a good manager, you know, is the person who, who has the best parking spot in the parking lot, you know, it's like, <laughs> right. this is where, this is where our general manager parks, or this is where our customer service, or this is where our CEO parks. Um, not saying those are bad things, but that, uh, that, that idea of I'm, I'm special because I have authority. Um, and, we we worked with a business one time where there was somebody who's no longer there who had a habit of saying, I don't care if they like me, they just need to respect me. I'm like, right. well, you're pretty much assured they're not going to do both. We're right. not going to do either one. Right, <laughs> right, right. right. Um, so, you know, we do, we do have the necessity of putting people in positions of authority. Um, but that authority is only because they need the authority if they're going to be held responsible. Right, so I can't hold you responsible for a scenario or a set of of tasks or functions if I'm not willing to give you the authority necessary to carry out those things and be successful. So, you know, one a good example of that is, you know, I want you to be success. I, w- I want you to be responsible for the success of a business. Say, if, if you're a, you're appointing a general manager, this is a person who's going to oversee all operations. You're like, yeah. I, you're responsible for the success of this business, whether that's top line revenue success or gross profit margin success or net margin bottom line profit success. But you're responsible for success. But I don't want to give you the authority to hire and fire people as you see fit. Right. So yeah. so it's either you can't hire the people that you're going to need to make the business successful or, you know, we got some veteran employees and you're going to have to keep those around. Right. And so there, when there's a disconnect between authority and responsibility, it just breeds problems. So that that has created over time this idea that, well, managerial responsibility is also commensurate with authority. And it is. But if that's the primary place from which you try to affect change in the business is through authority, then you and I would look at that situation. That's probably poor leadership as opposed to somebody who demonstrates a more submissive attitude and and submissive gets a bad rap. You know, it's it's seen as weak or meek or, um, and, and, but what we're talking about is a submissive person is a person who's going to one submit to 
the values, the vision, the why, the mission of the business, right? So they're saying those things come first, and I am in service of those things. But on a on a interpersonal level, from um, kind of an interaction managerial level, I'm going to submit to the needs of the people that are under me, you know, quote unquote, under me on an org chart level. Mm. And that is, in, in our mind, that's what leads to influence. You know, you can have much greater influence, positive influence, if you're willing to put yourself in a position of saying, what do these people need from me in order to be successful? And, you know, we, we preach this till the cows come home. Your job as the leader is to make the people who report to you successful, that's it. Either you're you're providing the resources, the information, the direction, the guidance, the exhortation, encouragement, training, whatever it takes. As the leader, that's your role. Yeah, you know, I think about Ron Swanson. Um, if you anybody love love me some Ron Swanson. <laughs> yeah, he's he, that's a forty five minute trip down YouTube. Right, you know, rabbit holes of Ron Swanson's greatest hits. Yeah, so yeah, but I think of him in this case as kind of the epitome of authoritative manager. Right, he works for the county. If you haven't seen Parks and Rec, um, you know, I don't know if it would be your flavor, but go ahead and take a stab at it and watch it. But Ron Swanson, uh, there's one episode in particular where he is talking about motivating his staff. Right, and we're in, let's use a different word. He's talking about influencing his staff. Right. And it's the the classic dichotomy between fear as a motivator and inspiration as a motivator. And Ron's very authoritative. He kind of reflects this in, in a negative way in which we would say, look, you can, you can boss people around all you want, but that doesn't necessarily make you a leader because at the end of the day, if you can't get them to, if, if the only way you can get them to follow you is by fear then you're probably not a great leader. Right. You, know, you need to grow your leadership ability. But he, he's like, yeah, fear is a really strong motivator. And uh, you know, his, that's what he hangs his hat on, is being able to tell people what to do. And if not, then he has the ability to fire you and he has the ability to you know, get rid of you. Right. So I, I think in, in the, other, the other characters in that scene, in that particular episode, are much more inclined by inspiration. They're much more on board with, hey, just influence me, inspire me to do this thing. And, and inspiration, I think we talk about this internally, is a much longer lasting motivator. You know, fear is is a strong motivator, I would agree, but it's it doesn't eventually you're gonna be worn out. Mm-hmm. Something you know, if something else is going to make you more motivated to do something than fear. Yeah. Yeah, and and fear is one of those things that you know when it's when your physical presence isn't there, it that fear tends to go away. You know, if the 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 phrase is like when the mouse is away, the you know the cat will play. No, when the cat's away, the mice will play. Right, mm-hmm. and so like we've you know you've seen it in your career, like the boss is out of town on a two week vacation, and like everybody's in a better mood, and you know there's happy hour at three o'clock on Friday, <laughs> and maybe some work gets done, maybe some work doesn't get done. You know, casual day goes from Friday to you know maybe Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, um, and that's you know that could be. I'm not saying it always is, but you know it could be one of those fear based kind of style sets. Um, and you're right. Inspiration, it has, um, a more enduring effect, not to say that you don't have to be on it and, and keep, uh, you can't just inspire one time and, and say, okay, right. they, they, they caught the fever, you know, my job's done. But, um, it's a different, 
and I'd I'd say it's not just it doesn't come down to just style because we we talk about styles very intentionally with respect to reach and some of the other stuff we do, right. but um, it's more of a what do you? It's the crutch you lean on. I mean, if you're leaning on the authoritative crutch, then it it allows you to be a pretty lazy leader. Yeah. Right? If you're if if all you have to do is say, hey, look, my name's on the wall here and yours isn't, or my name's on this piece of the paper higher than yours is, therefore you have to do what I say. I don't have to provide anything for you to be successful. I don't have to be interested in your success or failure. I'm not concerned about what resources you need. It's just like just go make it happen because I said so. Yeah. And yeah, we just, I mean. Unfortunately, there's some lazy human beings out there who got put in positions of authority, and 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 I always try to stop before you know we judge people. We don't want to judge people harshly. I think the reality is that so few people have really sat under really good leaders. There, there's never been a compare contrast between this person who you know I worked under who was really authoritative and just said I don't care if they like me, they just have to respect me, and this person over here who was genuinely concerned about my well-being, was a good steward of resources, You know, not just a good person that we felt good about, but was running the business into the ground. There's There's been plenty of those. Yeah. Like, Man, Joe's great, but I sure wish he could keep this company alive because you know, we're all losing our jobs. Yeah. Um, but you know, Joe, who's not only good at at caring for people, but also caring for them in a way so that they can carry out the mission, vision, values of the business, get their day-in, day-out jobs done with the things, the tools that they need because Joe has gone out and found out what those things are and put them on their desk or yes. put them in their, their location. So, Hi, this is Devin Dash at Axiom Strategic, and we just want to take a moment to, to break in our episode. And first of all, just thank you for listening. And the second thing we want to inform you of is a special series that we're going to be doing where we want to answer your burning questions. If you're a business owner or you're a professional working for a business and you have a burning question um, that we can put our minds to and, and maybe help you you know, think strategically about, do not hesitate to, to reach out to us. We're going to be putting together a string of episodes where we're going to be answering your questions. You can email us your questions at podcast at axiomstrategic.com. Or you can visit our website, axiomstrategic.com, visit our podcast page, and there will be a form that you can fill out and get us your questions that way. I want to thank you again for listening, and now back to the episode. Maybe maybe you are uh, empathizing, or maybe you're relating to the story that Joey shared at the beginning, where he has this, this conversation with a business owner who gets gets into a crisis situation and doesn't have a leadership team goes oh man that's great how do i build that what do i do with that if you're if you are relating to this podcast at all and you, and you want to build a leadership team look for people who are inclined to influence others and provide them the resources as opposed to ruling with an iron fist yeah and do you have somebody who gets it that authority you know anytime you have some it's okay with i think earlier on people are in their career they're going to confuse authority with influence it's just natural like you you see it all the time when somebody's promoted from the field to the office and then we hear you know through the grapevine or in our issues discovery with different clients you know, man, this person's really struggling. And we dig a little bit deeper, and it's just a training issue. Like, yeah. they've never been taught. And this, I could say this is the other thing. We should have probably said this at the very outset of the podcast. 
is like if you find yourself discouraged by the fact that you don't have a leadership team or you find yourself discouraged, like if you, we, we just talked about this idea versus authoritative versus, you know, like a submissive attitude um, about influential leadership. And you're like, man, I've just got a bunch of people who, I got a team, they meet every every week and man, they're just authoritative as the day is long. Like, and you get discouraged. I would say take heart because nobody teaches this stuff. No, like if you've got a bunch of, the young college graduates in some kind of white collar professional firm, uh, my my guess is, my hunch is, they didn't take a single course on leadership. They may have had um, a, a management class somewhere, and they might one of the book one of the ten books that they read or studied principles from was you know some kind of leadership thing. But not in the sense that we're talking about. It seems like no, there's there's one good book that I've read. I think it's called Servant Leadership. Can't remember. We'll put. It, I'll I'll make a note and get it in the show notes. Um, and then there's another one called Leadership as an Art by Max Dupree. That's a little bit fuzzier around the edges. It's not as it's more a little bit more philosophical. And and I'm not saying I've read every exhaustive resource, but I've read a lot, and they tend to be either. Like the um, who's the who's the Christian author that writes a lot on John John, Maxwell. John Maxwell. Yeah. So they tend to be like John Maxwell, like axiomatic, you know, kind of short books like that, Um, or they tend to be, you know, kind of like heavily uh, practical. You know, like you just need to get people to do what you need to do. And there's even what I would call like manipulative. Sure, just like understanding human behavior and kind of – so that's I think that's the distinction that you're making is if you have gone to college and you think that your management course equips you for being a leader or a manager in the real world, the reality is is those those management books are just a bunch of theories. Right. And there's there's two books that come from that, the John C. Maxwell types, which are axiomatic truths, and the other ones are more – Here's what the theory says, and here's how this theory applies to a different situation. And it's just smaller. It's breaking down maybe one branch of theory right. and, get, and, and how, getting people to do what you hire them to do or managing people or leading people. Yeah. The one particular book I'm thinking of and that I'm pretty sure is, is called Servant Leadership, and I wish I could remember the, the author's name. Do you have it on your I think bookshelf? it's Leadership as an Art? No, that's the Max Dupree book. Okay. Um, but this one was referred by our good, our good friend uh, Jim at Tri County. Uh, this was one of his recommendations, and um, she was appointed the CEO. The author was appointed the CEO of Popeyes, uh, Popeyes okay. restaurants, and she talks about the turnaround. And she did turn that business around, but she turned it around primarily through principles of servant leadership and getting the the C suite there at Popeyes to say, hey, like. What do our franchisees need? Hmm. What do our employees need? What do the people who are supposed to be carrying out our mission, vision, values, what do they need from us? It's our job to provide it, and, and there's no excuses for not doing it. And that's, that kind of stuff is, is incredibly refreshing because there's not a lot of it out there. And so if you're, if you're frustrated by some of the stuff you're hearing today, take heart. Nobody teaches you how. You know, that's, <laughs> right. that's kind of what we're trying to say is it's the school of hard knocks. So – so we definitely want leaders who are more submissive and, and less authoritative. What is the next quality that we, we want in a leadership team that we want to identify? Right. Like humility is huge. Um, and I think if you contrast, like what's the, 
with the contrast to humility that we tend to see on the other side. So if, author- if it's authoritative versus submissive on the, on the humility side, it tends to be experience, you know, so there's a lot of stock put in, Hey, I've been doing this for 30 years. Mm. Right. And I can, I mean, you can, you, you've seen it. I mean, it has a chilling effect. There's, there's a couple of cases. I'm, there's one case I'm thinking of in particular, um, where an individual who'd been with the company since it primarily since its founding, yeah. you know, had a habit of using that comeback for everything, every disagreement, you know, when it, when the, his, his version of a tie break was, well, I've been doing this 30 years. Yeah. So Trump that, you know, and not, <laughs> not many not, people are going to, as you get older, not many people are going to be able to Trump that. And yeah. unfortunately I think the negative thing that comes out of that for businesses, I mean, really, I think businesses lose not always, but when, when somebody plays that Trump card, to to win an argument, let's just say, I, I think that lack of humility or or that, you know, I guess to to say in this way that hubris mm-hmm. is it it doesn't grow the company, it doesn't help the company, it doesn't help the individual that's asking those questions and and trying to address the problem in a different way. Um, and it, you know, we talked about it uh, in a podcast with our our good friend John. It's like there's no collaboration in that, right? And it's it's essentially the brick wall that the conversation stops at. Yeah. We're going to come back to this uh, term a little bit later, the status quo. And that is, that is essentially, you know, what happens in situations where that Trump card gets pulled out all the time. It's just a method of preserving the status quo. And like you said, it tends to come from the people who are in the most senior positions. They've been there the longest and they're using it against the people who are much junior to them in experience. Maybe they have, uh, you know, peer to peer relationship on the org chart, but there's a generational difference in their age. Um, maybe they're they've come over from the company from a different industry, um, and so what are we missing? And in, in those two specific instances, I've got somebody who's who's coming from a different generation, or they're coming from a different industry, and I'm shutting down ideas because you haven't done this as long as I have, and I'm losing. All the advantages of having a different view, a different perspective, yeah. a different experience set from a different generation or best practices that could have, could have come over from another industry that we could benefit from. And that's why I say it's preserving the status quo because it becomes this garbage can lid you know, on, on any kind of new idea that could help the company. We just kind of sweep it in and put the lid on it of, well, I've done this longer than you have, whereas... The, the flip side of that, the humility, to say, I don't have all the answers. I need ideas from my people. I need you guys to tell me what's broken in this system. I'm not going to presume that just because I've been doing this for 20 or 30 years that I do know why our numbers are off or why things. And you have to be a little bit careful with that because too much of that, you know, I don't know posturing can lead to a lack of confidence. I mean, there is a point where people want their leaders to to kind of give them the safety net of, hey, I know where we're going. We're going to be okay. We're going to get through this. But I think you can do that from a posture of humility too, where you're saying, no, trust me, we're going to get through this. We may not, I'm not going to presume that I have the best idea. I got some, I got enough. I know that we're going to get through this. I'm interested in getting through this in the best way. And I'm not saying I have a lock on what that is. So I need your ideas. I also need, I need to be humble to understand that I'm not any better than any of these other people when it comes to stepping over a line in terms of values or missing it in terms of my composure or temperament or anything like that. 
Um, the the humble leader is in the moment it may difficult it may be difficult, but in the long term, probably by the end of the day, they're genuinely thankful if somebody comes to them and says, "Hey, like I'm, I'm not sure if you know that, that this is happening, but what you're doing in this area is is having a bad effect on the rest of the team. You know, you lost your temper at at John the other day, and um, everybody's talking about it." You know, and and so a humble leader is to be like, holy cow, I didn't, you know, I did lose it. I knew it was wrong. Uh, I wasn't really thinking that it might still be an issue. And I mean, that's, I, I learned this raising kids, right? So um, if you think you're a good parent, have children. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and then you will, you'll lose your cool. Uh, so I'm describing a, situation that's you know probably my boys are 16 and 13 there was a point when I would drive them to school every day when they were maybe kindergarten first grade and um and so you know there was a morning a particular morning I remember losing my temper because they weren't ready on time or they didn't breakfast or something right and I lost my temper and Mm -hmm. we're leaving the neighborhood and we're driving down this road and it just hits me like they're now like the, I've operated from a position of authority, right? Right. And they're doing what people do who've been clamped down by authority. Like they're great kids now. Like they're sitting in the back and they're not saying a word. Eyes straight ahead. Like they're scared to death, right? right. They just don't want dad to blow up again. And um, and I realized, man, I just blew it. And so I said, guys, I have to say something to you. I said, I I blew it this morning. I lost my temper. It wasn't. Oh, it's not okay. It's not acceptable for dad to do that. I'm sorry, and I would ask you to forgive me. And they, you know, what are your kids going to say? Right. No, dad, let me think about it. I'll let <laughs> right. you know when I get out of school today. Right. I mean, both of them are like, okay, dad, yeah, sure, great. Right? Now, can you turn the music up? Like now, they want to engage and, yeah. and stuff. Um, my kids have never said, no, I won't forgive you for something. Nobody... If I've gone to them in humility, whether it's my wife, whether it's you, whether it's you know a friend that I've let down, nobody's ever said, I won't forgive you. But how often in our lives do we actually hear somebody not say, I'm sorry, it's a different difference, right. but say, say, I'm sorry, what I did was wrong, will you forgive me? And if you show me a leader who's willing to have that kind of conversation when they blow it with their direct reports, which we all know we do. Yeah. There's there's no question here about whether we blow it or not. We all blow it. But if you'll show me the person that when they blow it will go back and say, I'm sorry, what I did was not right. Will you forgive me? The stock, their stock as a leader in the eyes of that person that they've just asked for forgiveness soars. Yeah. And it's I get that it's very difficult just as human beings to put ourselves in that position. And I get that from a cultural standpoint, especially in business, it's hard for leaders think that the opposite's going to happen. You know, like if I do that, they'll never respect me again. And then we've just been culturally conditioned for whatever reason to believe that's the case. And I get that. But if you can fight through that and actually practice it, you're going to be a, you know, your people will follow you through a brick wall and they'll do it and they'll, and they'll be more forgiving the next time. They'll be more willing to come to you because you've been humble and say, hey, um, you know, did you see that this happened again? 
and they'll tell you before it's before it's created a lot more damage you know as much damage as it did the second time and they'll come alongside you and help you repair the damage but not if you're not humble yeah you know that ties well with our next point and i'm just going to lead off with it is because uh this this point research shows that it and i think it's a gallup poll or it was pew research it was one of the, the major pollsters asked the question of employees i think it was great great research great statistic but they asked, what is the number one thing you look for in a leader or in a, in a manager? And it was this, I think it was like 53% of respondents chose grounded hmm. as a word that they want, you know, as a characteristic that they wanted in a leader or a manager. So w- let's talk about gr- what does it mean um, when we're looking for leaders, what does it mean to look for somebody who's grounded? And then what, like, what is it? What is its counterpart if somebody's just a manager? It's a good question. Um, And it's a little bit, I mean, to be honest, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around. But I got to spend, I want to embarrass him by mentioning his name, but I got to spend a good chunk of yesterday with someone I presume to be a very grounded leader. And I would would describe this person as somebody who is um, not conspicuous or... Um, presumptuous or flashy or showy. Uh, He's not interested in displaying his net worth. He's not interested in people knowing um, what he's done or how he's done or how successful he's been. He's somebody that you and I look at and go, he actually puts first things first. You know, his, his family is way more important to him than the business. His faith is is primary to his family. Uh, his business is, is a probably a distant third or fourth, you know, behind extended family and friends. And I think in some sense, that's what it means to be grounded. It means to understand that your worst day in business is not the end of you. The sun will come up tomorrow. There are other things that you have to be thankful for. And, um, I don't mean to imply that there's anything laissez-faire or lackadaisical about grounded people. Like they don't get, they don't recognize the severity of situations. Um, there's another gentleman that, that we share space with two of them, as a matter of fact, two are partners that we interviewed not long ago. I would, I would describe both of those guys as grounded. And we talked about some, some of the trying times that they've been through in their partnership, you know, events that were beyond their control that they were forced to have to respond to, and um, and while doing it, weren't panicked, um, weren't weren't most worried about what would happen to the business. Were most concerned about what it might mean for people, their families, their employees, that kind of stuff. So, um, on the op- on the opposite side of that, what do you know? What is like a managerial mindset focus on? It's it really is more on the accomplishment. Yeah. So if I if I hold my family in kind of the primary position or my faith in my primary position, I kind of hold my resume in the primary position as as kind of a manager. That's the thing that I stand on as you know being what what people should look at and what I want, what I want people to recognize. Yeah, you know, I have a brother in law who who talks about this all the time, and he he says it in a way that is is pretty eye opening. He's a romantic, so you know. <laughs> He is a poet too. So he, but he says gravity applies to all people, right? And and that's so in a practical sense, everybody understands physics. Like yes, the natural law is gravity applies to all people. 
But he also talks about it in that philosophical sense. And what we're talking about here is if we have a manager or, or an individual, let's just not distinguish between manager or leader. If we have an individual in our organization and we're questioning whether or not they should be a leader, are they looking to their accomplishments to, to help them rise above the, the, the others in the crowd? Mm. Or do they understand that gravity applies to them too and they're not f- flying up around in the sky as some leader that we just need to catch with a net and put them in the right position? They're, the, the good leaders is the individual who understands, okay, yes, kind of like what ties hand in hand with what we talked about last time is it's, it's somebody who's humble. Mm-hmm. They're not relying on their experience to, to put them in a position of, of authority or status or manager or leadership team. They're relying on the fact that they want to serve people. They want to build them up. Yeah. In the same way, grounded individuals understand that if I jump, I'm going to fall just like everyone else. Mm-hmm. I'm going to come right back down to the ground and no amount of accomplishment or net worth or you know success, quote unquote success, in a, in a from a public eye perspective, is going to change that. Yeah, and it's interesting if you look at leaders who are, um, you know, like they they inhabit a lot of the characteristics that we're, we're talking about on this leadership side, and then there's there's kind of some there's also some kind of principles or or like affirmations that we'll talk about later that, mm-hmm. you know, these people ascribe to um, or subscribe to. And I think if you look at those people and you said, look at them in their twenties and then in, when they're you know starting out and they're, they're in their first few professional positions and they haven't had the opportunity to ring up 20 or 30 years of success and then come back and look at them 20 or 30 years later after they have had the opportunity, there's been enough time on the clock for them to ring up some accomplishments. And you say, are they the same person or not? You know, it's like their mindset about what gives them influence is the same. Yeah. Right. It's, and in a lot of cases, it's what's been responsible for their accomplishment. But, you know, that's, it's not a precursor to accomplishment. You can accomplish without being a leader. You can, you can rack up lots of accomplishments just as a manager. But when you're looking, if you're a business owner out there and you're saying, I need to identify my leaders, this is one of the things that we find business owners looking at that maybe they shouldn't be looking at. Is yeah. like, what's the string of accomplishments that this person has had? And, you know, one of our clients has done a good job in the last two years of, of building a, a kind of a, what we call expanding the leadership team mm-hmm. and reaching out to some younger team members who just because of their their age and the the amount of time they've been in the profession they haven't had a chance to rank but he sees like these are the kinds of people like the you know doing air quotes by the finger kinds of people these are the people who think in all the ways that we're describing but if if as a as a, a business owner or somebody who's looking to establish a leadership team if i narrow my focus to well who's the who are the most accomplished people because the past is the greatest predictor of the future right that is not necessarily going to give you the great insight into who should be on the team. Mm, that's good. Let's uh, let's talk about one or two more qualities of a leadership team, and then I, I really want to get to what you just mentioned is the the affirmations that leaders subscribe yeah, to. Yeah, that's good. So I'd say um, there's a few more here. Gracious, like we we want leaders to be gracious. The flip side of that is people who'd be very demanding. 
you know, Steve Jobs is legendary for his ability to get more out of people than they thought they could get out of themselves. Mm. But he also left like a trail of destruction and, you know, destroyed souls behind him. <laughs> <Right>. you know, <laughs> so, um, so we do like gracious leaders. Gracious does not, does not mean um, permissive or, you know, like 20 strikes and you're out. You know, gracious means that I, I understand like you said, gravity applies to mistakes are going to happen to everybody. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, the, the manager is like, Hey, like your numbers are off. And, and, and again, like, I don't want to say that the people who operate from this demanding perspective are bad people. I just don't, I think that's what they've been indoctrinated with, you know? And in some, in some cases, unfortunately, that's what they're being compensated to achieve. You know, if, if you're the sales manager and your compensation is totally based on the overrides of the salespeople, you're going to be pretty damn demanding sometimes if you've never been taught another way yeah. to help them be successful. So um, gracious versus demanding is one. Poised is one that kind of goes with grounded, but poised, I think we see uh, more in stressful situations. And poise among a leader is important. Because we, we talk to business owners a lot and try to I, – I don't think this is a hard sell for them. When we say, listen, what you say, you yeah. essentially say with a megaphone. Yeah. Right? There's no – if you lean on somebody's door and you're like, man, cash is tight. <laughs> you know, by lunchtime, there's rumors that the company is going into bankruptcy. Right. Right? So, um, so this idea of poise goes to that idea that everybody's always watching. And it doesn't matter whether you're the CEO or whether you're a department manager. People are watching you. And they're watching you not only uh, carry out you know, your day-to-day responsibilities. They're watching you when the heat gets turned up. They're watching you when things don't go your way. Uh, they're watching you when things don't go other people's way. Um, and they're, and you know, we'll talk about this a little bit more later too. They're watching you whether you're working or not. Mm-hmm. Like they're watching you at your kids' baseball and soccer games. They're watching you at church on Sunday morning. They're watching you when they see you out at a restaurant. And so that poise is, is one of the qualities that allows you to lead well. I'm not saying it means you have to be like super reserved and conservative and you can't let your hair down. But if you, you know, um, if you, if you lose your shit, Right. You know, that's not good. Yeah. It's going to hurt your, your leadership influence. And then finally, uh, this idea of empowering versus controlling. Um, empowerment is one of those things where you go, well, that's a, that's a nice fancy word. You probably got that out of a leadership book or a management book or something. But what does it mean? Well, let's just say it's the opposite of micromanagement, which is what we see in like those very controlling things. And so, um, you know, we... We I can't remember which group it was we were talking to. We were talking to a group in this past week or two, and they're talking about you know this idea of since people have gone to work from home remotely, like there's a lot of businesses that you know put cameras in people's homes to make sure that they're working when they're supposed to be working. Like that's the epitome of what it means to sit under a controlling manager, a controlling environment. I don't know anybody who likes that, right? I certainly don't know anybody who performs better under that scenario versus empowerment is, hey, I noticed, you know, or we're asking you to work from home. Let's talk about your home office setup. Um, do you need a new monitor? Do you need two monitors? Do you need a green screen because you're going to be doing video conferencing? Do you need better lighting? Do you need a, how's your chair? What kind of chair are you sitting in? How high is your desk? Do you have enough space? Empowerment goes to to providing 
resources, authority, all the all the guidance, direction, mentorship, all the things that somebody's going to need to be successful. And good leaders trust. I mean, that's one that didn't necessarily make the list in our notes. But if you if you find people in your organization who seem to have this pervasive attitude of, well, we just can't trust people. Like that is not that person is not going to play out to be a good leader until that attitude changes. Because if you don't trust people, it is literally impossible to empower them to do anything because you don't trust them with power. So how are you going to give them any? So I like the idea of of empowerment, but the word I think falls flat a lot of times because not a whole lot of people mean, but everybody knows what it feels like to be micromanaged. So if you say that's the opposite of being micromanaged, not being left to yourself, but actually being, if somebody said, hey, here's the job, I don't want to have to be looking over your shoulder to see if you're doing it. You tell me how often I should be looking or what I need to be looking at or what you need so I don't have to look. I'd be happier if we could figure that out. Great. So let's move on to these axioms no pun intended (laughs) (laughs) that leadership members of a leadership team would subscribe to and i love the first one that leadership is about impacting the lives of individuals so talk about that and why why that idea that we should be as leaders our focus is on impacting the lives of individuals and impacting it in what way okay so this idea that leadership is about impacting the lives of individuals, it's really the first of, of five different things we're going to talk about. And these, these are five what we'll call affirmations that we would expect leaders to agree with. And the reason for these, so you, you at the top of the show, you talked about it's possible to have managers that aren't good leaders. And you and I have seen the chilling effect that that has uh, on leaders when there's somebody in their midst who's not a leader. So we talk about, you know, what does this look like in real life? We work with leadership teams. What does that mean? Every week, our clients are getting together. The leadership team at the client is getting together to take up issues, solve problems, hold each other accountable, push the strategic plan forward. So every week there's a group of people who are sitting around the table and they are solving problems in real time, sharing ideas with each other, um, holding each other accountable. If everybody around that table kind of shares the qualities that we just kind of ran through, if there were a test for those things, like if we could give a, a litmus test for those and make sure that only people who could pass the test got to the table, life would be great. Right. But every once in a while, somebody makes it into a seat at the table, and they don't share those qualities. They think it is about authority. They don't trust employees, and it has the effect of shutting down conversation. Um, good ideas get shot down because it's way easier to shoot down an idea than it is to refine it and and come up with next actions around it and make it work in the business to improve the business. That's hard work. It's Mm. much, much easier to just shoot shit down left and right. Right. I'm cursing a lot this episode, (laughs) which is not good, but it's, it's easy. It's easier. And it's also low risk, right? There's, there's no risk. There's no short-term risk in preserving the status quo. There's a ton of long-term risk, but there's no short-term risk in preserving the status quo. So we'll see people fight to preserve the status quo by shooting down ideas or 
or just, I mean, you cannot say anything during an entire meeting and have a toxic chilling effect, right? Through body language, through eye rolling, through disengagement, through doing work on your laptop during the meeting or checking email or getting up constantly to go answer phones and walking in and out of the room. We've seen it all, right? (laughs) We we know a lot of the tricks in the book for people who are just disengaged, don't want to be there, trying to send a passive-aggressive message. And it's easier than doing the hard work. So... Unfortunately, we don't have a litmus test. We don't have a litmus test to determine who's humble, like who's, who wants to lead from a position of influence, who wants to empower and entrust people versus you know, who just wants to control them. Mm-hmm. There's no test. So all we can do is ask people, do you agree with these things? If you agree with these things, if you'll sign up to do these things, then you have a seat at the table. Now, if they will say that to you and me or to their boss or CEO, then we have a basis for holding them accountable because accountability is totally voluntary. You can't hold me accountable for something I don't agree to be held accountable to. So if I say, hey, we believe that leadership is about impacting the lives of individuals. Do you believe that? Yes. Okay. I'm going to hold you to that as we get together and work on this business and solve problems. Mm. So why is, why is leadership about the ability to impact the lives of individuals? Well, well, it ties in a lot of the qualities that we've talked about and the idea that a leader leader is empowering, right? So how are they empowering? Looking for opportunities to help individuals grow. Right. Well, I mean right? providing them with resources that are going to help them to do their job better. Right. Right? That's if 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 we don't care how people are doing if we don't care how people feel at the end of the day or how people feel before they walk through the doors in the morning, then we're probably not a leader. Right. And and let's let's not Let's not skip over the fact that we're not asking people to lead um, rows of computers. We're not asking people to lead a a real estate portfolio of buildings. We're not asking people to lead a fleet of vehicles. We're asking people to lead a team of people. Right, other people. So if you don't believe that your role is about impacting the lives of individuals, if you're not a people person... And I don't mean an expert. I, I'm not expert. Extrovert. extrovert versus introvert. I don't mean like, are you super charismatic? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about are you a people person in the sense that you're interested in impacting the lives of people. If you don't sign up for that, that's okay. That's fine. Maybe there is a whole server room of computers that you can be in charge of. Maybe there is a real estate portfolio that you can be handed and say, just manage this well. But the last thing in the world we should do is give you a team of people or put you in a room where the decisions that are made are going to affect dozens, scores, hundreds of lives of individuals if you don't believe that your role is about impacting those things. Yeah, that makes me think about that. That makes me think about the book. Um the e-myth, right? Mm-hmm. If you're that individual, and, and maybe I'm getting too bold here, but if you're that individual who's not a people person, then you are what, um, I cannot remember the name of the author, it just left my mind. Michael Gerber. Is it Gerber? Yeah, Gerber, Gerber. If you, if you are not a people person, then congratulations. My guess, and maybe this is where my boldness, I need to temper it. My guess is that you own a job. You own a job and you don't own a business because you're you're the doing you're managing the portfolio by yourself. Mm-hmm. You're managing the computer room by yourself, and you're not you don't have to lead anybody. In. You might have to lead yourself. You might have some self discipline, but 
you're more likely at, you, you know you probably fit better into that category of manager yeah and and maybe um, um, a a subset of that or an alternative that is you're an investor yeah. I mean you're like hey like I own 100% of the company, but I recognize I'm an idiot when it comes to looking after people. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay somebody a bunch of money to come in and do that for me. I'm yeah. going to install a CEO who's going to basically run the company and I'm going to own it. And that does happen. It doesn't happen a lot in first generation of businesses, but it can certainly happen second, third, fourth generation where the people who inherit the business are like, hey, like that, I never signed up to start a company. I want. I, it's important to me. The family name's important to me. The name on the sign's important to me, but... I don't. I I do want to solve interesting problems. I want to be an engineer. I don't want to be you know somebody who's tasked with leading people. I you know so uh, I think that's the I, th- I think that's okay. And and I don't. Right. I've I see. Um, unfortunately, we have man like if you're a manager, that really should be your outlook too, right? I mean, if you're a manager, by definition, you're managing other people in in most, most job descriptions. And it should be about impacting the lives of others. But this is where we have to draw the distinction between are you a manager who has authority over the lives of others or you are a leader who wants to impact the lives of others. Yeah. Hi, this is Joey Brannon. I want to take a quick time out just to tell you a little bit more about Axiom and the work that we do. We work with closely held businesses on strategic growth. What that means is that we come alongside the business owners, we help them get clear about where their business is going, and then we engage their leadership team to build plans for growth and then execute those plans. If you're a business owner and you're trying to grow or you're looking for future growth, or maybe you're just trying to manage the current growth that you have and you're looking for some help, you want somebody to come alongside you to give you the tools to show you what accountability looks like, to build the skill set of your team so that you can step away from the business while it continues to grow, give us a call. You can find more information at axiomstrategic.com. So if you're a leader and you're listening to this, or you're a business owner, or you're, you're a leader in your company, uh, the first, and you're looking for other leaders to, to surround yourself with, that's, that's the first question is... How do you feel like, can you affirm that leadership is about impacting the lives of individuals? Yes or no? What's the next one? Uh, this, the affirmation we'd like to, to have them make is, as a leader, it's my role to encourage, exhort, and empower. And so we come back to the idea of empowerment, you know, which we talked about prior contrasted it against, you know, micromanagement or controlling. But um, Empower comes after encourage and exhortation. And encouragement is just encouragement, right? Encouragement, we I think we all know it. But what is exhortation? Like when your mind, when I say exhortation, what do you think of? Yeah, I think it's it. This t- it kind of pulls in that quality of a leader, which is gracious, mm-hmm. and it's the ability to speak into their lives and, and encourage them to do something to make a change. Mm-hmm. That maybe it's a it's let's just say speak fl- frankly. They're not good at this, mm. and it's an area that's harming them, and they need to grow in it. Mm-hmm. So exhortation would be a, a graciously approaching that topic and saying, we need to grow in this area. Right. But not, hey, you stink, and if you don't get your act together, you're out of here, which is, it's an exhortation to, right. to get better in that area, but it misses the other two. Yeah, so you know, I like that, and it makes me think maybe th- these three ideas are applied based on the three types of experiences that we often see. So we encourage those people who are getting the job done. 
we exhort those people who are struggling in the job Mm -hmm. and we empower those people who are excelling at the job. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that idea as a leader, that's your role. I mean, so if you show up as a leader and, and I say, Hey, when's the last time you encouraged somebody? I go, well, like, man, (laughs) like big, big strike. I mean, if, and, and, uh, Every there's no good comeback for this, by the way, and because I've I've had people I've literally had people say, well, if we have people who did their job, then I'd be able to encourage them. And I go, well, that's interesting. Uh, who hired those people? Who wrote the job description? Who vetted the resumes? Who did the interviews? Who made the decision to bring that person on the team? So you decided to bring somebody on the team who was no good. Yep. Man, we should get somebody else to do your hiring for you, it sounds like. Then maybe you would have the opportunity to exhort some people. Mm. Like, I mean, this idea that if I if 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 I have to let somebody go or if somebody leaves, that's my fault. Yeah. Right? It's it's either my fault, but it, it, it may not be your fault, but it's definitely your responsibility. I think yeah, I mean fault and, and so let's say in a best case situation, somebody uh, well, there's two. So, so I've had to fire somebody because they're just making bad life choices, right? And there may not have been a great way to discern that when I hired them. Like it, we could be gracious for a while, but you know we've run into situations where it's addiction or abuse or something like that—just poor, poor self-management choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that you you may have to call, it, but I would say that is like one tenth of one percent right. of all the terminations that have to get made. And on the other side, there are some situations where people leave because you just run out of opportunities for them. You know, what, what is your fault is not being able to grow the company to keep up with them. And that's just reality. You know, yeah. if you get some, you're going to, that should happen a lot. Like you should become such an attractive place that the high flyers want to come work for you for a time and learn what you have. Even if they know long term, it's unlikely you're going to be able to grow fast enough to keep up with where they want to wind up. If you're that attractive that you can attract those kind of people, that's not a bad business, right? And we would argue your role is to help them be as successful in chapter number two as they were with you. It's a small world. Like that stuff always comes back around. And that person that, you know, you helped get their next job, you know, 15 years later, you know, you wind up merging your company with theirs or whatever. I mean, it's a, it's one of those things you can't be short-sighted about. But on the whole, it really requires that you... Um, in the meantime, you got to do the encouragement when people fail. Yeah. Show them some grace and, and exhort them to get back in there. And if you got a players, you know, if you're not fighting for your people to get promoted, if you're not fighting for your people to get more opportunity, then you're really not empowering them. Hmm. So number, number three on the list, it says leadership is a calling I pursue at all times. And this I'm going to let you expound on this, but this, again, it, it kind of goes back to the qualities that these things would go hand in hand. If we have a, someone who's a leader and is going to display some of these qualities, they would have no problem affirming that a leadership is a calling I pursue at all times because they understand they are poised. They are grounded. They understand that when I go out in public or I, I remember my stepdad, he said this all the time. We would, uh, he, he loved cars and he had a 76 Mustang it, and it, it was a drag car. And he drove our family cars very, very much like race cars. And it was fun. I love He was very safe. But there was one vehicle that he never drove in, in such a manner. And it was his company vehicle. It was the name. It was the vehicle that had the name of his, his last name on the side. Mm. And it was because he understood. 
in, in a way, I'm a leader at all times. Right. You know, and so again, I, I could blow that illustration sure. out of yeah, the water because I'm going. talking about him right. driving really <laughs> crazily. But he never he was never crazy. Right. So the point is, he understood. I, I'm a leader at all times, and people are watching. People me. are watching me, and he was poised and he was grounded as a res- you know yeah. that poured into that affirmation. So I have um, my my example of this. So if we say leadership is about impacting the lives of others, that's that's number one. That's affirmation number one. Number three, leadership is a calling I pursue at all times. Are you about impacting the lives of others at all times? That's mm-hmm. really what it comes down to. And there was a time when I was involved with an organization. And the person that had gotten me involved in this group was a nonprofit board. And the person who got me into the board was like somebody I really looked up to. And it was like, you know, he, he seemed like he had all of this stuff together and, and um, it's just somebody I admired a great deal. I still do. But there was a time when uh, we were in a meeting where this individual wasn't present at the board meeting. He, he couldn't make it or whatever. And an issue came up. And somebody said, well, that's not going to happen because, you know, what happened with that person? Like, what are you talking about? Well, that person in, you know, in this, in this other nonprofit and this person on our board, they kind of got into it. And I was like, that, 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 and they started describing like the very public argument that happened and some of the things were said. I'm like, man, that just doesn't match up. And I'm, I'm saying this out loud. I'm like, it's so hard for me to picture that happening. Mm. And the person sitting to my right said, huh come out to the to the soccer field on Saturday morning. You'll see it all the time. <laughs> I was like, what Ooh. are you talking about? I said, oh, this guy's got a reputation you wouldn't believe for yelling at referees and, you know, making six-year-old kids cry. And, mm. and I was like flabbergasted. And this idea that leadership is a calling I pursue at all times comes out of the fact that you cannot be, you've heard me say this too many times, so you're, you know, you're probably like, oh, he's about to say it. You can't be a great leader on Friday afternoon and and be a total jerk at your kid's soccer game the next morning. Yeah. Those just are not compatible. If you believe that leadership is about impacting the lives of others and you're not willing to demonstrate that at work, uh, you know, in your kids' soccer games, at your church, at your, you know, in your home, mm. you know, how many leaders do we hear about? So, you know, people who are very well accomplished in business, but they're estranged from their kids, their marriages fall apart. You know, they're they're known in the community as somebody who's kind of unreliable relationally. That's not a leader. Yeah. Somebody who's accomplished, you're not going to be able to take the accomplishment away from them, but not necessarily somebody who's about impacting the lives of others. Yeah, wise wise man uh, sitting across the the microphone from me <laughs> one always says that you want to you want to understand who a leader is it, or you want to understand whether somebody is a leader or a manager. Watch how they treat their waiter or waitress mm. at the restaurant. Yeah, that's a big one for me. Because if if they're you know and you, yeah you can expound on this, but if you go in and and they're they have their thumb on the waiter or waitress because that person is going to treat them exactly right and you know but they're not gracious. They don't. It's it it is telling, and I yeah. I think that is that's some of the wise words that that I've, I I hold on to. But it's that same sentiment yeah. is watch how they treat those people who are serving them. And and the, the, if you really want to see it get ugly, watch how they watch how their tone changes when the restaurant owner or the manager of the restaurant shows up at their table, mm. you know. And then they start talking disparagingly about you know the help 
you know. Yeah. And and you know, and then it can get to a whole new disheartening level when the managers throwing their own people under the bus, right? Which I've seen happen before. But um, you know, this idea that uh, I'm going to treat somebody that I perceive as high status one way, and I'm going to treat somebody that I perceive as low status the other way. One that the, your willingness to make a distinction between high status and low status is a problem, but then your willingness to act on that and actually treat people differently is. You know that is the hallmark of somebody who is not a leader yeah. and is going to have to seriously change their tune. And I've seen it happen, but it usually involves that person being brought down to what they formerly perceived as a low status. Like they realizing were, that gravity actually applies. Yeah, to that. through a bankruptcy, through yeah. a business failure, through a marriage failure, through a failure with a um, a child who becomes estranged from them. I've seen all of those situations happen, and in the long term, they result in a lot of behavior change. And in a mindset sh- mindset shift that, like, I'm, I'm going to treat people better. Mm. All right. So number four, why don't you read that one? I will measure the success, or I will measure my success by the success of those I lead. So this idea that uh, it's impossible for you to be considered a successful leader if the people that you're leading are not also enjoying success. And what I mean by success, you know, like there's a whole different podcast we could do on what is success. But in terms of a work relationship, are they experiencing more fulfillment, more joy, more more personal reward from the work that they do? I'm not saying that every single person you lead has to rise up to become the next CEO. But if you run a manufacturing facility and you're the person responsible for that and you've got some some high flyers in your organization you know and and they're they're going to be accomplished no matter what right and they're going to they're going to re- realize some success no matter what mm-hmm. and you've got some other people in your organization who are you know maybe it's the machinist in the back who's paycheck to paycheck doesn't see any light at the end of the tunnel comes in just gets the work done and, you know, he's working for the man because he's never been given a reason to do anything else. Mm-hmm. You can't measure your success by one group and ignore the other. You know, if that me- if now, but if on the other hand, your high flyers can realize success, probably with not a lot of your help, but can receive a lot of encouragement and even empowerment along the way because they're earning that. And your machinist or your janitor or the new intern can also experience a lot of fulfillment because the machinist may never graduate to manage anybody. The machinist may never be anything other than a machinist. But if you're not working to improve that person's workflow, to improve their quality of, of, of their work, to uh, recognize their performance, maybe to provide resources that will benefit their family. Like one of our clients talked about um, they have a huge Spanish-speaking workforce. Talked about offering language classes, as language yeah. classes for family members and employees. Like that's the, like those people may never change position on the org chart. Their job description may never change. But if two of their kids can speak fluent English in elementary school and get a leg up going into middle and high school, it wouldn't have otherwise were it not for your leadership. Yeah, that's pretty pretty powerful. Um, so, you know, what, how do you measure your success? Do you look at the string of accomplishments that you've racked up or do you look behind you and go, if these people are, are happy or satisfied or more fulfilled or accomplishing, experiencing more, that's what I'm going to use as my gauge. 
Great. I love it. This last one, you've, we've talked about it a lot and, and we've mentioned it a lot. This is where status quo comes back in. It says, preserving, preserving the status quo as a leader, preserving the status quo is incompatible with progress, growth, and leadership. Leadership requires responsible risk. You know, and, I, and I, maybe we've belabored that point, but, but I like the idea that if, if we're going to be a leader, we have to understand that we got to be uncomfortable at certain points. And if we refuse to be uncomfortable because it's much easier, I get it. There are plenty of times in our lives where, where things are crazy and we, we look back and we, we, have, uh, we look at the past with rose-colored glasses, right? And I, that's a fallacy. I think it's the antiquities bias, but it's the idea that, oh, it was, always, it was, it was better or and maybe I have that flip-flopped. The good old days. The good old days, right? And, and it's so tempting to stay there. But as leaders, we can't stay there. And we can't stay there just because we don't want to take any risk going forward, right? And so that's why I I love this idea that it's not, as a leader, if you're staying in the status quo because you don't want to take risk, uh, you can't be a leader then. You have to be comfortable with a little bit of risk. And you're not doing it alone. You're, You're taking responsible risk, hopefully, with other leaders. Yeah. And this is a fine line because the entrepreneurs, the business owners, Often, maybe they're too comfortable with risk. You know, their their employees get a little bit uncomfortable by every new idea that comes their way. And they're thinking, man, this is going to be really hard. It might fail. It's going to use up time and resources. We, you know, our core business really needs some attention. Why don't we just try to make that a little bit better rather than to start this new thing? Um, and so that's that's often the perception of the CEO or the, the entrepreneur who started the business. And the people who sign up to, you know, volunteer their time, effort, energy for paycheck, but, you know, they could go work a lot of other places, but they sign up behind this particular business owner. They didn't feel the calling to go start something new. They didn't feel the calling to go out there and, and, you know, mortgage their home or do whatever to start the business. So they're not comfortable. I mean, that's just a given. They may not be as comfortable with the level of, of risk, right? So we have to take that into account. But Mm -hmm. what you're saying is that, when, when we talk about making changes in a business, they're changes. Like we never go into, and no business owner ever said, man, I hope this is exactly this way 20 years from now as it is today. There's always something that, that they can improve, something they could make better. Mm-hmm. And so we, we have to recognize that, yes, not everybody on the team is wired to take the level of risk of the business owner. And, we want them to take more risk. Well, what's required for them to take risk? If you're a business owner and you're looking at your team and you're like, I'm sick and tired of all this pushback. Everything's about preserving the status quo. If that's your situation, I want you to stop the podcast, find the nearest restroom, go in and look at yourself in the mirror because you're the person who's responsible for creating the environment where nobody wants to take any risk because it's not safe. It's your role as the CEO to create that safe, connected future, mm-hmm. right? That you've talked about a lot in Daniel Coyle's book. Um, and you've really helped me understand that concept. And I see it at play everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, if I can't create an environment of safety, then I'm really not giving anybody a choice but to fight for where they're at right now. Because, again, we go back to that is the best low-risk short-term scenario. 
preserve the status quo. Nobody's going to get mad at me if things are the way today that they were yesterday, unless they got really pissed at me yesterday. And then right. <laughs> I got to figure out what I have to change. But that's not the case if I look out five years. If I look out, and that, and maybe that's one of the roles of the CEO too, is to is to pull those people aside in one-on-ones and say, look, I get it. You're scared. But if we stay where we're at now for the next five years, we both are going to have problems. I'm going to have problems as the business owner. You're going to have problems because I don't know that we can afford to have you in that position if all it's about is keeping it where it's at the next five years. So going out of your way to build an environment on your team where people feel safe is important and if you, I guess maybe the biggest practical help I could, I could uh, offer business owners is worry way more about responsibility than you do blame. If you will take responsibility for what happens in your business instead of worrying about who to blame when something goes wrong, it will feel like a much safer culture. If something screws up, so I had a great conversation that illustrates this yesterday with one of our business owners. It's coming back from a meeting. Somebody you and I had said, I need to reach out to this person and just check in on a few things. So I called him, and he was telling me that they recently got uh, written up in front of like a, a permit review board in a local county because they weren't closing out permits. And he said, you know, he had to basically go to the, per- the permitting board hat in hand and say, you know, after doing this for so many years, I should know better. You know, wow. we have we have people who are supposed supposed to take care of this. That didn't happen, uh, which means it's really it's a process thing, and process is my response. Process is the owner's responsibility, so it's it's my fault. Mm. And he took a responsibility for the situation without worrying about whose whose fault it was back at the office. Who am I going to blame for this problem? Yeah. And if you've got businesses who'll do that, and this is also one of those businesses you you and I would go into one of our regular you know weekly meetings with them or their weekly meetings with each other that we get to sit in on and say, this is a team that obviously feels very safe because we see a lot of ideas hitting the table. We see we don't see status quo being the desire. Yeah. And it goes to a business owner who's willing to say, this is on me. I will take all of those arrows so that my team doesn't have to, because I want them to feel safe. Yeah. So we've talked about a lot and, you know, there's so much more that I think I want to talk about. This might just be a long podcast because, you, you know, we, we've mentioned the, the qualities that we would identify, you know, use to identify whether or not someone is a leader or a manager and some of the affirmations that we can look to individuals in our company to, you know, see whether or not they would affirm those things. And so practically, now we get into the really practical side of the podcast where, you know, we have, we have business owners or, you know, higher level executives who are listening to our podcast and maybe they're looking at growing the leadership team um, or they have a leadership team and maybe some of the things they're realizing, they're, they're realizing I have, I have some individuals who might need to come off my leadership team. Let's let's talk about uh, the first one because I think we have a point here that it'll really help the individuals who are looking to build our leadership team. What is the the, the quality of making the room bigger versus smaller? Uh, I think is really important here because if everything that we're saying resonates and you're ready to go gung ho, we promise you should take the time and the effort to to qualify your leaders using the bullet points and, and the affirmations we've outlined. And I think the point is, is because it is much easier to make the room bigger 
than it is to make the room smaller. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had this exact conversation six hours ago <laughs> in front of a, a leadership team of six people. Um, and they're a, a business that hasn't been working f- with us for very long. We're probably, we're still inside probably six months. Mm-hmm. And, um, and during that time we've been doing, we've been putting together some of the kind of, uh, framework pieces, you know, of, of accountability charts with the owners and values and vision and mission, all the things that we really need to kind of get the owners to articulate before we start engaging the rest of the team. And so we've done that. And now we have the owners and a few more individuals around the table as kind of the initial core leadership team. And like you said, gung ho, use the gung ho word. And that's what I heard this morning, man, this is, this is getting really good. We like the idea of, of solving issues in real time in the business and holding each other accountable and having a bigger picture to operate from. Um, it seems like we could use a couple more of our managers at this table. Mm. And I pulled these affirmations out and I read them one by one. And I said, if you can identify people who are on board with all five of these statements, that could be great. But let's make really, really sure. Because as you said, it's so much easier to make the room bigger than it is to make it smaller. Unfortunately, um, you know, people see the allure of authority. And if you've got, if you establish a leadership team, you know, if you, if let's just, let's just say you establish a group that's meeting, you know, every Tuesday morning in your business, in the conference room, and people start to know, Hey, this group is in there and they're meeting and the business, the two business owners are in there and the CFOs in there and the sales managers in there. And like some people with some, you know, all the people with window offices, like they're all in there. Right. right? And you want to be in there. Why do you want to be in there? Because, you know, if you're, if you want authority, you recognize that's a room full of authority. I want to be, I want more authority. I want to be in the room full of authority. Mm-hmm. So it's natural. It's, you're going to have lots of people who want to be in that room. And you're thinking about the authority probably more than they're thinking about the responsibility. And we say pump the brakes a little bit or may, pump the brakes a lot. Right. <laughs> right. Let's make sure that when we allow people into the room, they all have this same leadership mentality. The, the hard part is what happens. Let's say we're starting off, and let's say we've got uh, we got a sales manager, we got a finance person, we've got an operations person, and we've got a customer service person and a business owner. So there's five people I've just articulated, mm-hmm. and we start going through the business, and we say these are the five people who have a lot of authority. And they're responsible for a lot of stuff. And we say, who should be on the leadership team? And in the past, and the answer a lot of times has been, well, all five. They should all, you know, put them all five on because those are the five people with authority. Mm-hmm. And now we're saying, time out. Uh, the sales manager doesn't seem like he's really on board with this idea of his success is dependent on the success of others. He's way more interested in negotiating his contract than he is in figuring out how to help his his guys meet the quota with better training or better tools or better whatever. And our customer service manager, um, I don't know. It just seems like when I look at this list, um, there's some inconsistency in the personal life and the work life. And, you know, I don't don't know. I don't know if she really wants the kind of responsibility we're talking about, 24-7, 365, or if she just wants the authority 40 40 hours a week. So what do you do? 
what do you start them? Do you start your leadership team with those two big voids, you know, where we don't have a sales manager in the room and we don't have the a service manager in the room? And I say the answer might be yes. The answer might be we start the meeting with the owner or the two owners and the one person who is the most on board with these concepts. And if that's the sales manager, it's the it's those three. If it's the customer service manager, those three. If it's that person, if those two owners and a controller, it's those three. Um, and then we can grow the room from there. We might need, or we might need to start the room instead of six people, have four people in the room. Yeah. You do think it does, though it 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 significantly raises the bar for for what you have to communicate to those two people who weren't invited in. Yep. And I think if there's anything you're going to do for somebody in their career, is highlight the discrepancy between behind their desire for authority and their lack of leadership skill. That's that's a pretty good blind spot for them to know about. Which, if you're in that room and you're the owner or you're you know the co- you're the, the partner or, and or the sales manager and you're in that room, well, guess what? You've signed up. You've affirmed as a leader. It's my role to encourage, exhort, exhort. and empower. Yeah, you know, and that's I think that's point. that's where you go. You go. Okay, I have to have that conversation. That what we're about here in this room is about making everyone else successful. We're about getting better. And hey, we're about exhorting each other. So it would be inconsistent for me to not have you in this room, but not come to you and say, I really want to encourage you to grow in this area. And and if we got to figure out the tools and the resources to get you there, right. then let's do it. But we, we want you at the table. Absolutely. But you got to earn your seat. Absolutely. I mean, I think about situations we've seen over the years where we haven't been as judicious in granting people seats at the table. And I think about the difference that might have been made had we phased those positions in over 6, 12, 18 months and allowed people to earn their seats at the table, how much more productive and how much more those situations would look like the very high-functioning teams we have mm-hmm. who every single person at the table buys into every one of those affirmations wholeheartedly. And, you know, the the reality is if you've got, if let's say you've got, eight people around the table, right? You're not going to bat a thousand. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to make a mistake and you're going to get somebody around the table and then you're going to struggle because two or three months in, it seems like a lot of things, you know, we're being told, yeah, we're all right. You know, the things that we have, we're, we're doing okay. It's not that bad. You know, maybe we just wait and see how this pans out and you go, wow, this person's all about the status quo. Yeah. Or you have somebody, you get a, you get a report about somebody who's, doing stuff on the weekends that man they wouldn't they'd never want their work colleagues to know about or their the their direct reports that they have to supervise right and so you got your those things are going to happen yeah. and um you know we would also kind of maybe point back a few episodes and say that some of those are probably values conversations that need to be had absolutely and I, that was that was going to be kind of the last question maybe we just end with that just to refresh everyone's memory we belabor values a lot it's because we think that they, they are the DNA that shapes how and you do everything in your company. So the, the question then is, you are the other leader who's listening to this podcast and you realize, oh, I, have a, I have a management team that is, I have a leadership team that has managers on it. Mm-hmm. How do you make the room smaller? How do you, how do you make the room smaller? And I think that's, that's where the values come into play. And it's, it's a tough conversation. You have to 
in, in, in our case, we've seen the room get smaller because the values conversations make an individual uncomfortable where they voluntarily say, this is not the level of accountability I've signed up for. Yeah, and they don't just leave the room, they leave the building. Right. And, and that's, a hard, that's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of business owners because it is it's oftentimes key positions. But I will, I will say, one of, our, one, of, one of the places I've seen this best with our, one of our clients is their resolve to cut out and weed out individuals who are inconsistent with the values of the company, even if it means cutting out somebody who holds a license for a particular contracting service. Mm-hmm. And they, they had the resolve to, to say, this is inconsistent. It's not in line with what it means to be a leader here. It's not, it's inconsistent with our values. So you have to go and it will come at a great cost. It will be a hard pill to swallow, but I can also affirm based on our experience with, with plenty of other clients, it is the best decision you'll make. And I think we've talked, you know, you mentioned this maybe even earlier in the podcast is watch how the room dynamic changes after you ask either ask kindly or the individual raises their hand and says, you know, I tap out. Watch how the room dynamic changes. Watch how the, the engagement of your other leaders changes and you don't find more collaboration occurring, more change, you know, more resistance to the status quo. And uh, anything else you would say? How do you make the room, room smaller? Well, you bring up a good point, which is values – Values are about like who determines who's in the building. Like that's the that's the test. And so when we say values, you can kind of have to go back and listen to what our values. We're not speaking speaking about them in some kind of hazy fog. Like when we say values, we have a very specific idea of what values are and how to build them and how to identify them, define them, and then build a culture around them in an organization. So they're super super tangible. They are by far the number one tool in everybody's toolbox when it comes to managing, whether you're frontline trying to manage the CEO and call out inconsistency of the values there, or whether you're the CEO dealing with somebody in the leadership team trying to call out inconsistency of values there. So the values are there to make sure that we have the right people in the building, like, and they're non-negotiable in terms of that. It's entirely possible we could have somebody who's perfectly in line with the values, exemplary and living out the values, but doesn't agree with these five affirmations. Mm. And that's fine. Not everybody in your company is called to be a leader. And I use that language very intentionally, called to be a leader. Do you feel like you're called to be a leader? Do you feel like you're called to live out these five affirmations in addition to all the other job responsibilities, task responsibilities, and doing them in a way that's consistent with the values of the organization. And if you don't, if you're not okay with that, that is perfectly all right. Mm. And, you know, it's difficult to make the room smaller, but if you're not willing to have a frank conversation with a leader who's not a leader, um, you know, I guarantee you that person's frustrated. The authority, so the thing that we see, and you alluded to this earlier, there are people who opt out because what happens is there's somebody in that room who is not okay with the five affirmations. They're all there about authority. And the other five people or six people or seven people or eight people who are in the room have signed up for those aspirations. Mm-hmm. And this person like feels like they're banging their head against the wall because you just need to tell people to do what you want them to do and they'll do it. And everybody else is like, I don't think so. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> right. Does it? I mean, the, you're not seeing the same things we're seeing. 
And that not to mention, I mean, they've got lots of blind spots, right? And maybe some of those start to get called out. Maybe some of those blind spots are not blind spots any longer, and it's kind of hard-hitting, and they have to look themselves in the mirror and realize they're not all they thought they were. But that environment of living amongst a group of people who are all about serving others, and you could care less as long as your parking spot doesn't have any leaves on it, you know, and the stripes are where they're supposed to be, that there's an incompatibility there that just makes people uncomfortable. Mm. And they won't fight it forever. Yeah. Sometimes they'll opt out. I, my encouragement, uh, if you're the person making the ultimate decision, is don't make your team wait for that person to make the decision. Right. You know, be be a leader in your own right and encourage, exhort, empower. And if the exhortation doesn't have an effect, you're going to have to make a change. Mm. Yeah, that's a great end of the conversation. I know it's been a long one. Um, I appreciate the listeners for, for listening this long. If you have any, any... <laughs> presuming that they got tired of hey. it a long time ago, <laughs> Hey, it's a podcast. They can listen to it in like that's 15 true. minute chunks that's for true. a week. Right. That's fine. That's true. So thanks for listening. And, uh, we will talk to you guys next week. All right. Thanks, Devin. All right. So I'm guessing there's probably no after show today. It's, Five four fifty four. Yeah, um, Good Friday. We need to get out of here. My wife is waiting for me yes, at home so sorry. she can get ready for Good Friday service. Right. After show next week. See ya. <laughs>